Well, good evening. Are y'all alive? Okay. Hey, guys. Maybe maybe we're all in a simulation. Um, hey, uh, my name is JC. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Kevin has told me that y'all are going through the book of James. Uh, and tonight's passage will be in James chapter 2. So if you would, you can go ahead and turn in your Bible there, swipe there, whatever. I will just ask you one thing, though, okay? Uh, Sunday nights, pretty much all the time, but Sunday nights especially, it can be very easy for us to just keep our phone on something else. And so I have turned mine on airplane mode, okay? If something happens to you in an emergency situation, okay, we have your parents' number on file, and we will contact them, okay? But I'm going to ask you to just dial in, and I'm going to say that, I'm going to kind of give you a little reason why to convince you. First of all, I just hope for those of you who came to hear God's Word. I hope that that is enough of a reason to turn your phone off for a little bit to hear that. But the second one is why when I, when I was, uh, picked a day and looked at the passage that Kevin had for me, I was like, huh, this is like a, this is like a topic I didn't know was so serious. Like, this is, a, this is a big deal. And so it can be very easy when we talk about it, you look at your outline, you go, hey, this is not a big deal. So I'm going to ask you to just man, focus in for a minute and figure out why does God's Word make this such a big deal, Okay. If you're willing to do that, give me a head nod. And if not, I won't judge you. I'm just glad that you're here, okay? So we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you got your outline, we're going to get started fast because I have a reputation of going very slow. And by slow, I mean take a long time. Uh, so here we go. Uh, favoritism. Favoritism is sinful because. Favoritism is sinful because. So we're talking about favoritism tonight. Have you ever said the following statement to anyone at any point in time? Well, you know, my favorite is blank. And then you just, you could be talking about anything. You could be talking about restaurants. You could be talking about people. You could be talking about uh, your favorite street. Maybe your favorite smell. Maybe your favorite pair of socks. I mean, literally, it doesn't even matter what it is. We just group them into favorites sometimes. And so when I read this idea of favoritism being sinful from God's Word, I thought to myself, I mean, that's not that big a deal. I've always been told, like, it's good to have favorites. And it's good, even in that, to have uh, favorite people that you hang out with, right? And then when I read this passage, I kind of got, got struck by, man, I am not at all in the place that I need to be when it comes to this in God's Word. And so I, I want to just challenge you to, to, to think through where you're at tonight. James 2, uh, verses... 1 through 13, and I'll just read the first five to get us started, okay? My brothers and sisters, and I'll read from my translation. The NLT is on this screen. If you got another translation, that's cool too, as long as you can read it, okay? My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty plain. Don't, don't play favorites. Don't show favoritism. We could probably end there, but then I would set a record and Kevin would be like, what are you doing? Uh, I'll never beat that record, so we'll keep going. Um, For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, hey, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Become judges with evil thoughts. Now I think this is important for us to just look at 
first because James spells it out pretty clearly. And this is what he does in this letter. He's very direct. He is very blunt. There's not a lot of flowery language that James does, which makes, uh, which makes youth pastors especially love this book. Like, we, we love this book because it is like, you can read it as a student and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, or oh, that's what the gospel is. And so, we love it for that reason. Um, and so, for me, as I, as I read this, I think to myself, you know, this is a picture of high school. This is a picture of high school. When you walk into your halls, don't, don't we have this temptation to define people by their outer appearance? I mean, maybe high school is so dramatically different that you don't judge people by appearances anymore. I don't think so. Uh, is, so please give me a nod. It has been quite a long time since I've been in high school as a student, but people still judge people by outer appearance. Is that correct? Give me a little nod. Okay, a bigger nod than that. I see some of you like, I'm not sure yet. Okay, good. All right, so... The, and what James is, is trying to communicate here is, James is talking to the members of a church. And so he's not talking to everybody. This is not a public address, okay? This is sp- particularly to a group of believers. And for us, I'm, I'm talking to y'all. I'm talking to y'all. Most of you in here probably claim the name of Jesus Christ, at least in this room. And what James is dialing in on is this. If you treat anyone different for any other reason than the fact that they're a human being. That's a sin. If you treat anyone, any person differently because of anything, any factor, that's a sin. Like, could you just imagine for a second stepping into your high school and going, everyone treats everybody the exact same? Could you imagine that scenario? Can you imagine even finding one human being at your school that literally treats every single person the exact same way, no matter what? If you're shaking your head no, let me push one further step. Could you ever imagine meeting a single human being anywhere, in any realm of life, in any walk of life, that was not treating any human being that they came into contact with differently? There's only been one, and it's Jesus. And it's why James can say so clearly that this is sinful, because Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't treat people differently based on how much they had or how much they didn't have. So why is favoritism sinful? Well, the first reason why tonight that I want to point out to you is, first, it's not like God. It's not like God. God doesn't play favorites. I just want you to sit in that for a while because this week as I was walking around praying for you students tonight, I was being struck by the fact that there are students in this room who really don't believe that God doesn't play favorites. They think about their family. They think about maybe uh, the amount of money that their family has. They think about uh, their choices. Maybe they think about even their personality their lack of skills, their lack of intelligence, their lack of emotional or social awareness. And they can think, no, God definitely plays favorites. Look at these folks over here with all these privileges. God definitely plays favorites. But here's the deal. When you see Jesus walk on planet Earth, when you see a direct revelation of who God is in human form, does he play favorites? No. In fact, according to the culture that he lived in, women were to be treated like property, 
Children were never given a voice, nor should they be in the presence of adults unless they were serving their parents or their grandparents. Ethnic minorities were isolated from one another. And Jewish people, if you had a little bit more knowledge of the law, were seen as superior. That's the culture that Jesus stepped into. And yet it seems like every human being that Jesus came in contact with, he spent intentional time with them. Because the reality is, no human can add anything to God. No human can add anything to God. And so God needs nothing from you. Absolutely nothing. It's the only love you'll experience in the entire world that truly is no strings attached. And James is saying this is the type of love that Christians should show to people. But that's not the kind of love that this church was showing. In fact, they, because they were being oppressed, sometimes we just kind of read this as uh, American Christians, right? And we're going like, we, you know, it, I was even laughing with Kevin this week because like, we probably don't do that with rich people. Like we probably aren't like, hey, let's sit next to the rich people. Although sometimes you are, maybe. Maybe you like some of the things that they offer you so you can do that. Maybe that's still something that you struggle with. But oftentimes we're the opposite. Because we have so much stuff here in America, we do the opposite. Like we're the rich people reaching out to the marginalized, not to show them love, but because somehow they're going to give us some social clout. They're going to make us seem better to the people around us because we are reaching out to them. And still there's this selfish motivation sometimes that we have to even reach out to those who have nothing. Isn't that crazy? But Jesus, every time he reached out, was reaching out with no strings attached. And you see it when people leave him. You don't see him crying. You don't see him begging people to come back. He never did that. When he was with rich people, what did he do? He explained to them the kingdom of God. And if you're rich, it's harder for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that to rich people, like in their face, like he didn't text it to them. Like he said that to them. The religious leaders who were known for their intellect and their wisdom and their discernment of the law. And Jesus was in their face about how they were missing the law. They were missing the whole point. And those who were poor and suffering, man, he spent intentional time to show them love. Why? Because no one was loving them at all. And every person he did what was exactly best for the person that he came into contact with, only for their benefit, not for his own. And James is saying, this is love. And if you are playing favorites, you're living in sin. You're living in sin. And I think it's crucial for us to understand this. God looks favorably on the poor. You know, in all these ancient religions and traditions and philosophies, favoritism was key in how to become holy. Do you know why? Because you had to get somebody, close to somebody who knew something or somebody who had something. And that was the way to progress, either in holiness or materialism. And so that's what you do. And that's what we do in our American culture. We find an expert on a particular subject, and we want to get close to them. We want to find an influencer who can teach us something, and we want to get close to them. And we play favorites. In fact, you could probably name your favorite YouTube channels, TikTok uh, people. Uh, you could probably name your favorite small businesses in the area, favorite restaurants. And all of them have different reasons why, but you pick favorites. 
But God is the only deity that looks favorably to the poor. Generously loving those who have nothing to give to Him. In fact, the Scriptures say that those who are poor in faith, which we'll see a little bit later here, those who are poor in faith, God has made rich. In fact, God's reversing the fortune of those who have been poor by making them rich in faith. Not rich in materials, but rich in faith. We'll see that a little bit later. But I want to say this to you. For those of you in this room who are suffering, or for those of you in this room who maybe you entered into suffering, Maybe your family doesn't have as much money as someone else. Maybe you're, uh, you've got some debilitating issue. could be uh, anxiety. could be um, uh, a mental deficiency. It could be the fact that you just don't understand social situations. It could be any of those things. And I want you to know this. He notices your suffering. God does. And He is acquainted with your pain. God understands your hurts. And yet, in spite of the world's harsh judgment, He offers you the riches of His love and His acceptance in spite of all that. God still, to this day, lavishes His love on those who place their faith in Him, regardless of what they can offer to Him. Favoritism is not only sinful because it's not like God, but it's also not logical. It is not logical. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that He has promised to those who love Him? Yet, you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? What James is pushing into is, not only is this not something we should aspire to because it's the characteristic of God to love with no strings attached, but it's also not something that we should do because it's just not logical. It doesn't make any sense. James is pointing out, you're trying to get close to these rich people, but these rich people are the ones that are oppressing you. They're the ones that keep hurting you. They're the ones who are going to the courts and making sure that these Christians don't get treated like regular human beings. And remember, in that day, this church was under oppression. They were being persecuted violently, physically persecuted. And so, of course, they want rich people to turn the tides to make legislation go in their favor so that they won't be killed just for going to church, that they won't be killed for following Jesus Christ, for being members of the way. And they know that the gospel message is we lavish love upon people, people that don't deserve it, people that can't give us anything back. We share generously with them. We love them. We share the message of the gospel with them freely. And James is trying to remind this church, and I'm trying to remind you, these people that you're trying to gain favor with at school, in here, they can't offer you anything. And oftentimes, they're in the same place that you are. They're trying to figure out, is there something that you can offer to them that they can have for their own benefit? And isn't it sad that we live in a world that is so marred by sin that Human nature is always asking, what can the person in front of me offer to me? Isn't that sad? And yet, we all look in the mirror with that. That's us. That's us. Oh, well, JC, I'm not like that. I'd be willing to bet if we sat down and talked about it, you are. And I'd be more than willing to share how I am like that. In fact, I'll give you one small example. When I first started here at Brookwood, and I could tell that God was preparing me to be a pastor and shepherd a particular group of people as a pastor. 
I prayed and asked God, God, you can, you can do anything you want, but God, please do not put me with middle schoolers. God, any, any group, senior adults, you know, high schoolers, children, but God, please, in your lavish mercy, do not, do not let me be in charge of middle schoolers. And I prayed that. In fact, I have a written copy of that particular prayer, which I am not proud of at all. And so what did God do in his lavish mercy and generous love? He used this church to ask me to start a fifth and sixth grade ministry for middle school students. And I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be the worst. This is going to be the absolute worst. And it wasn't the worst. In fact, God was shaping things in me that I didn't know and wouldn't have chose on my own accord. In fact, he used that particular experience with me to understand this is what it looks like to love people that literally can't do anything for you. Middle school, I mean, y'all are in middle school. Y'all remember that, right? Anybody want to go back to middle school like immediately? Maybe one of you? Not many of you. Not me. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> and so, man, I could sit down and share with you the amount of times where I have seen something that I can, I can truly see in somebody else that's going to benefit me. And it's even, I, I wish it was getting better. You know, I wish it was getting better. Can I tell you my favorite type of employee to have? One who doesn't cause drama. Can I tell you my favorite small group member to have? One who answers the question and stops talking so that we can move on to the next one. You want me to tell you my favorite kind of lunch lady? One that smiles and just tops a little bit more off of the spoon. I can literally name you every category that I have a favorite in, and every one of them has to do with how it benefits me. And so I'd be willing to bet if we sat down and talked, that'd be you too. And it's easy in your life to put yourself in a box and say, it's about everybody else and what they're doing. It's about everybody, it's everybody else's fault. If everybody would just fix this, everything would be better. But you don't look at yourself when you're in that box. And so James here, man, he's, he's, he's not pulling any punches with y'all. Favoritism is sinful. And if you're living the life of favoritism, you cannot continue to live that life and rightly call yourself a child of God. If you only see the transactional nature of human relationships in what can you do for me, that's sin. If you can't move past that, if you can't depend on God so much that you depend on what no one else adds to you, you cannot rightly call yourself a child of God because the Spirit would not let that sin remain. So James here is just saying, why are you playing favorites with people who are your enemies? They literally hate you. They make fun of you. They oppress you. They persecute you. Why are you trying to play favorites with them? And the ultimate reason why is because we think if we'll get close to rich people, they're going to change stuff for us. They're going to make our lives better. That's what this church was living in. And for your generation, that's a struggle because you are so concerned. Not with who you are, but with who people think that you are. And so favoritism can just kind of glance on by. 
Well, I hang out with the, I hang out with my football team, or I hang out with my baseball team, or I hang out with uh, the group. We're we're all artists. Or I hang out with a group who we're all in touch with our feelings. Or I hang out with a group that has big hair. I hang out with a group who likes to eat salads only. You know, you can just find something to tear yourself up together so you don't have to talk to other people who challenge your way of thinking. That's what we do. But if you were to take a pause on all of your human relationships, all of them, if you were to take a pause on them and just thought for a minute, how many of those relationships, think about your friends, your family, if you work at a job, your boss, your coworkers, if you're in a small group, your small group members, how many of those relationships are you leveraging for personal gain? Now, how many of those relationships, there's no leverage at all. There's literally nothing. There's no strings. There's nothing. How many people in your life can you really say that about? That if this person, if this person came and just treated you so badly and so poorly, you would still love that person with everything inside of you. Not only is it not like God, not only is it not logical, but it's also not loving. Verse 8, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. See, I think James here knew, well, we're just going to gloss over the favorite parts. Like, give me the parts about my tongue, and give me the parts about sexual immorality. Like, give me those things. I know those are sinful. But, like, this favorites part, like, let's just get past that. And so James is doubling down on, no, this is sinful. This is sinful. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, if you read all those verses and you think, man, I'm doing great. (laughs) I would love to sit down with you and talk with you about how I can get to that place. But I think our world needs this type of love. A love that does not ask the question, what can you do for me? But only ask the question, what can I do for you? In fact, some of you, even now, you're so hesitant to even believe that that type of love even exists. Because you can't even imagine it in humanity. And yet it does. It does. I think if you were hearing the word playing favorites and that's a sin, you were probably kind of like I was when I started reading this passage of like, this is not that big a deal. Like, let's just breeze past this, get it over with, go to a small group, get out of here, baptize some folks. But it's a serious issue to God. If you are a follower of Christ and you are showing favoritism, it is stealing glory from God Himself. Stealing his glory. If you claim to be a child of the king and treat people differently based on any characteristic at all, rich, poor, color of skin, uh, mental uh, capabilities, social clout, influence, lack of influence, if they like Cheetos or don't like Cheetos, if they're vegan or not, if they like dogs or cats, if there's literally any reason 
for you to play favorites with people. It's a sin. What if God treated people like you did? No, I'm serious. Think about that. As a follower of Christ, we're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be the mirror image of God here on earth for people who don't know God. What if God treated people like you treat people? What would people think of God? What would you think of God? JC, what in the world? You are coming super heavy at us tonight. What in the world? Can I be honest with you? I'm convicted about this. Man, your schools are full of people who live on the margins. And if we walk into that school and don't acknowledge their presence, if we don't show them the love of Christ because they may not be able to offer anything to us, how can we call ourselves followers of Christ? How can we do that? JC, what you're calling us to is an otherworldly standard. You're right. In fact, I'm telling you, being completely transparent with you, I don't know how to live like this. I'm trying, and I'm asking God, God, how in the world do you treat everyone you come into contact with? What about the lady who's writing a check in the checkout line? And I got to be somewhere. How do I treat her the same I treat everybody else that pays with a debit card? How do I do that? And I just want to remind you of something. God knows every single thing about you. He knows how loud you sing. He knows how much money you're able to give. He knows literally the words that come out of your mouth. He knows every single one of them from the time that you're born to even the words you haven't said yet. He knows the things that you think, both in the light and in the dark. He knows absolutely everything there is to know about you, even the things you haven't currently discovered about yourself. And yet, God loves you. You can offer nothing of value to Him. He's not going to be any better if you're His child. But He loves you. With so much favor, with so much richness, the Scriptures say more than you can ask or imagine. And I've got a pretty good imagination. More than that, God loves you. And I want to remind you, if you've ever felt excluded, if you constantly think about your flaws, I want you to know that apart from anything, if you had just the fact that you are a human being, you have been given a God-specific divine trait that by itself is alone and worthy of God's love because He made you. He made you. But the world may not say you have value, but God always says you have value. Always. God chooses the things that the world rejects. This is the gospel message that we're supposed to carry into our schools. This is what we're carrying into our workplaces. This is what we bring home to our families. That we love people. They can't add anything to us. Why? Because we've already got everything we need. God's given us His DNA. He's got an inheritance waiting for us. There's literally nothing we can do to be separated from the love of God, the Scriptures say. There's nothing that can be added to us. Human beings can't take that from us. Human beings can't add to that. We've got everything we need. 
And so when we carry the message of the gospel, we carry that message that the only thing you need is Christ. And if we mar the picture of this announcement, this good news, it's sin. And it's not loving. It mars the very picture of God to those we're in relationship with. And God is not pleased with those who are content to defame His glory. So if that's you, and you're thinking one of two things. One, JC, I want that love. I feel so excluded and rejected and discarded by the world. I want the love of Christ. Tell me how to receive the love of Christ. Or if you're in these seats and you're thinking, JC, I am so, so far along this path of playing favorites that literally I'm thinking right now about how somebody... If I text them something, if I say something in this way, if I walk by someone, if I make a particular choice, if I wear a particular thing, I'm, all I'm thinking about is how people are going to perceive me, how they're going to add value to me. And I'm so far in this sinful way of playing favorites that I have got to repent and come clean to God. To both of you, the offer is the same. Jesus Christ, just as Luke and Jacob sang tonight, God is opening His arms wide to you. No strings attached. The offer is free. Jesus Christ came to earth to show you who God really was. And He did it so well that people did exactly what we always do. We ask, what can Jesus do for us? And when we realized very quickly He couldn't do anything for us, we killed Him. We discarded Him would do exactly what many of you might be doing in your schools right now. And God knew humanity would do that. And He still sent His Son. And He still offers you the same offer. So if that's you tonight, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. If you're in small groups, man, I, I pray that you'll be transparent and open about how we really do use people for our own benefit. Even as mentally... And I pray that if there's someone in here saying, I need that love of Christ, I pray you'll come talk to me after this. If, if there's someone in here that just says, I need to repent, man, I pray you confess to your small group leader tonight. Let's pray. God, we, we need you. We, we need the gospel every single day. For those of us who've already come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this message is convicting. Your word is convicting us that we use people for our own benefit. God, I pray that it would not be so. I pray that we don't see the people in our schools for how they can add to our life, but instead we say, how can we share the message of the gospel with the people in our schools? How can we share the message of the gospel with those who have been discarded by the world, who have been excluded by society? How can we show them love? And I pray that we would stop asking the question, what can you do for me? And instead ask the question, what does God want to do for this one? And I pray, God, that our schools would be changed. I pray that the students in this room would be changed. And God, I pray if there is one in this room right now who does not know the love of God like that, I pray, God, that your Spirit would reveal yourself to them, that you would regenerate them, Holy Spirit, that Christ came to earth to live a sinless life, to be an example of what God's love is truly like. And we killed Him. And God, your word says that if we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we'll become a child of God. So if there's someone in this room today who 
who owns up to the fact that they are a sinner and that there's nothing that they have that they can offer to God and they just want to accept the gift that God has given to them. God, I pray that, I pray that they would do that now. And God, I pray that our church, I pray that our high school ministry, I pray that our high schools would be different because students truly believe that human beings cannot add anything to them and they would stop fearing humans and they would fear God. For what can humans do to me? Kill my body, but fear God who can destroy both my body and soul in hell. God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our love. And I pray that our students recognize that and surrender to that love tonight. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen.